You are now listening to the Keys and Anklets podcast, your one-stop source for frank and honest information about the hot wife and cuckold lifestyles. You can find this episode on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher Radio, or you can head to www.keysandanklets.com and subscribe right from the website. Now, let's get to the good stuff with the host who separates fact from fiction, Michael C. Hello, everyone. This is your host, Michael C., back with another episode of the Keys and Anklets podcast. And today is a special treat for me because I get to do an interview uh, live. When I say live, not necessarily live on the air, but just in person. So it's not over WhatsApp or a phone call or anything like that. Like I always enjoy these kind of interviews to vest just because I get to feel the energy of the people that I'm talking to. Um, so today my guests are a, a cuckold couple who I've recently become acquainted with, um, A&E, and we're going to hear all about their journey today. So why don't you guys say hi. Hello, everyone. Hi. And just so everybody knows, she is A, he is E. So as I said, uh, you guys are a cuckold couple. So just to kind of give my listeners a little bit of background, um, how long have you known each other and how long have you been married? Well, we have known each other a little over three years and we've been married almost three years. So right. we so, so it's a very short courtship. Very short courtship. It was a very short courtship. About seven, six, seven months from meeting to marriage. Yeah. Okay. Um, and to give my, my audience an idea, how old are you both? I am 43. Mm-hmm. I am 46. Okay. So known each other three years, been married for about three years. And I know we've had conversations before. This is... At, at the least a second marriage for both of you, right? Correct. Yes. Okay. So I'm going to start with you, E. When did this, this kink of cuckolding, when do you remember it first entering your mind? Like, was it something you read, saw, heard? When did it enter your conscious? Oh my gosh. I mean, it's, that's a, that's a long time ago to even remember what ends in my conscious. Um, I would say it was probably somewhere in the late nineties mm-hmm. around the 99 to 2000 era, maybe into 2001, somewhere in that kind of era. I, I can, I know because I can place myself in where I was in my life mm-hmm. at the time when I remember first becoming aware of it, uh, but not necessarily the exact date. I know where I was living. Um, I found the dark heaven, com website, which I think a lot of us did back then. Um, I know that I lived in that particular place from 99 through 2002. So it's somewhere in about three range. Okay. Range. So you were mid early to mid twenties. Yes. I would have been like 25, 26. Something okay. along those lines. And just for my, my listeners that are wondering, you are from. Originally from the UK. Okay. Cause I'm sure people will be able to hear an accent. So I just wanted to let them know you're not hearing things. He does in <laughs> fact have an accent. So. Was it something you stumbled across like on your own or were there people like, were you just discussing it with people or this was like a solo? Definitely not discussing it with people. Definitely on my own. Um, In terms of how I stumbled across it, I have kind of a memory of what I think it was. But again, it was so far back now. It's 20 years that it's uh, almost apocryphal, right? But it could be. It could be a memory of a story that I remembered afterwards that has mm. now become that. But as far as I remember, it was, I actually stumbled across it. So first I've got to actually admit that there was an instant when I was probably late teens, early twenties, that was kind of pseudo 
uh, cuckolding, pseudo becoming interested in it without knowing anything about what it actually was. Right. Uh, my college girlfriend, um, who I knew, you know, from like 18, 19 and was with until I was like 22 or so. Um, she was, I was the first guy she had been with and she, you know, kind of, and I experimented a little when we were away at college together, at university together with the idea of other people. And, um, they, even then I realized I had no real interest in kind of chasing out other people and having experiences myself. And so it was more interesting to me for guys to be interested in her. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing really happened there. So that was just like a pseudo light awareness of when it was right. kind of a tingling in the back of my mind, but that would be a, an appeal. The, where I remember becoming aware of it and becoming interested in it was, um, I remember that it was back in the late, as I said, late 90s, early millennium, when Dan Savage was still being published mm-hmm. as part of The Onion. And so you pick up The Onion, you're walking <laughs> in the streets of Chicago, where I was working at the time, and reading those various articles, and they were always kind of, you know, kind of funny and titillating in ways that were fun for a read home on the L. Um, and one of them was an article about, uh, you know, somebody who was interested in approaching their wife, their spouse, um, to, for, for her to cook hold it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's where I first was kind of came across that. There was a mention in that article of a website, darkcavern.com, which, you know, I became aware of and right. it became kind of a very strongly growing interest, um, af- after that. Okay. And for those who, who aren't aware, uh, Dark Cavern was a very popular, like interracially themed. Uh, Absolutely. I, I think they, it was probably like a lot of amateur stuff. I mean, it, was, it wasn't just videos, but it, I remember they had like forums and right, it places where people could talk and communicate with one another. And, and I mean, it was very, very popular <laughs> for, for a time. It was like the place to be if you had any kind of interest in any kind of like interracial uh, aspects of, of hot wifing or, or anything like that. Well, I think even putting aside the interracial aspect, although that's definitely part of it for us now, back then, I think it was probably the only place to be for any aspect of hot wifing yeah. or anything, you know, at, um, at that time. Um, and I think it was cutting edge, right? So for the early 2000s, the website, like you said, had videos, had forums, had amateur photographs and real mm-hmm. people posting and real, real kind of depictions and interviews and things like that, which it was just not like anything I had ever encountered previously mm-hmm. <laughs> so so let's fast forward a, a little from there so you 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 come across it it enters your subconscious you're thinking about it you're visiting the website when do you remember the first time you actually try to incorporate it or even bring it up with a woman that you were seeing or dating or, or something like that so i think this is where it gets into kind of a complicated Back and forth we, we, in history. We, we love complicated here. <laughs> <laughs> so in my prior marriage, I think it was very kind of softly alluded to towards the end of a marriage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but it was more there along the lines of a very kind of vanilla context. My ex-spouse's high school boyfriend kind of reached out and got in t- contact with her. There was kind of an emotional entanglement there to uh, use the Jada Pinkett Smith term. Um, so, um, and, but that led to kind of a dissolution of my marriage. So it wasn't anything that right. led to cook holding or anything like that. That was more typical led to dissolution of my marriage. Um, after that, 
couple of vanilla relationships, which were relatively serious. I was a serial monogamous. So after my marriage, after a time being kind of single, I immediately started dating somebody that then became very serious again for two or three years. And then after that broke up somebody again, that I ended up engaged to for a while. And after that dissolved, there was a period of time where I was like, okay, so maybe I'm curious about this. And so there was probably a period of time of about a year where I was a serial data. Mm-hmm. And during that serial dating, I'd kind of test the waters and see if anybody would be interested in this. And I was blown away by the fact that I think it was a 100% batting average. I think every girl I dated had the same response, which is like a, a, a feigned shock and outrage at first. And then a hell yes, immediately afterwards, mm-hmm. you know, cause you're kind of offering them the keys to the kingdom. Right. So finding a woman that would turn it down is I found not as difficult as uh, not as it wasn't as difficult as you would think to find that everybody a, would be like, wow. Yeah. Right. I'm a firm believer in this all in the presentation. So it, it sounds <laughs> so maybe like you I was def- just very persuasive. Right. You had, you had definitely <laughs> sounds like you had a, a really good, a, a good way of presenting it yes. to them and, and, the, and making it sound appealing to them. But the problem was when every, with every single one of those people mm-hmm. and I, you know, I could probably sit here and count on my fingers and tell you how many there were, but I think a good rule kind of back of envelope estimate is like maybe a dozen. Mm-hmm. Right. So every single one of those people, Every single one. The second I realized that they were kind of like, sure, that sounds like fun. I was like, oh, you know what? I'm not interested after all. No, thanks, but no thanks. And so that was kind of like a, okay, yeah, I guess not then. I guess it was more just like the the challenge of seeing if you were. And then, um, and I think that was just me not being kind of ready to embrace. And it was also partially, but I think it was also a big realization that it. In that case, it isn't really cuckolding, right? It's um, if it's somebody that you don't know and have no connection to, and then you're just dating casually, mm-hmm. and you raise the idea of that, is it really kind of? It doesn't really have that emotional richness that we have that that A and I have, right? Because it's a case of like, well, you're somebody I don't know. You're one step away from a stranger. We've been on maybe three or four dates, mm-hmm. and so you're willing to say, "Yeah, I'll keep dating other people." It's like, well we're kind of at the stage where you're pretty much still dating non-exclusively anyway. So it's really, there's, you know, I, I, I'm reminded of kind of a paraphrase, right? Of a Marquis de Sade, you know, the, the famous quote that's always credited to him, right? That, you know, sex without pain is like food without seasoning. Mm-hmm. It's the same type of thing, right? Cuckolding without, or, you know, promiscuity and willing to flirt and do things with other people without any attachment or connection to you is, hollow as well so i never really went anywhere with any of those people right um and then when i met a we have both kind of come full circle and i'm sure she will go into some of her experiences where we were both actually actually looking at that time for kind of the opposite like oh my god let's just look for something that's like stable that's monogamous that's Mm. non-dramatic that's not up and down and so that's where we were and we were for you know, the first year we were married. Um, but we actually ran into some issues in that I had some pretty substantial jealousy issues about, you know, kind of A's prior uh, sexual history with certain, uh, certain people in her past. And so that's when we realized that part of that was probably, you know, through working together and counseling, a large part of that was probably, you know, it's like, well, it's kind of a subliminal kind of um, almost a, have a buried guilt about my own 
interest mm -hmm. in A's dating past and replicating that. And so we both kind of talked about it and realized it. And um, one of the things that happened is, you know, it was a kind of a, and we can get into this, it's kind of a long, another long kind of process, but we realized through working with this therapist that A has a very strong independent streak and a need to be in charge and a need to be the one initiating our kind of intimacy. Mm -hmm. and. There was this book that we were reading by the therapist that kind of recommended that, uh, called Come As You Are, which is not a cuckolding book, but it's a kind of an intimacy book about, and one of the core things in that is that struck A was, well, it should be about, you know, kind of the female partner initiating and being in charge and taking the lead. And from there, you know, that was something that really kind of got us some traction and got us some kind of excitement and got us some intimacy and close together and so from there it kind of led to well you know this fascination i've had with cuckolding is also a fascination with you know kind of female-led relationships and flr and so we actually then moved on to kind of talking and discussing and exploring that which led to agreeing to an flr and signing kind of a female-led relationship contract and i had written one based upon you know various exemplars we'd put online and one of the things that was in there was that as part of her right to initiate sex, she can initiate sex when and where and with whoever she wanted. Mm -hmm. And so that kind of sat there for a little while. And then we were out for dinner at Valentine's Day and we were talking about the flower and Aislinn comes up with like, well, you want me to cook all you? And, um, and, you know, part of me was shocked that she knew what it was. And part of me was shocked that she had seen through the transparency and part of me was shocked that she got that. So, um, we kind of talked about it. It's like, well, yeah, that is. And, and so hold on. So that's where your story becomes a an us. So let me yep. pause you right there. So for you, a kind of take me back to like the first time you ever even heard that word, like how, I mean, I think it was when I was, I really think it was when I was, researching what an flr is so was when, this after you met e this was with e okay so prior to e you it, it was nowhere on your radar no i but i had become like my curiosity had gotten very piqued by some instagram individuals that i had stumbled across that had open relate had an open relationship mm -hmm. and they discussed their trials and tribulations about it and i discovered them in that concept which of course i i've i've known people in open relationships since college right that's when i first kind of heard of that and i never thought that would be something that i would be interested in i always considered myself a serial monogamist and Interestingly, like my first marriage dissolved purely because my ex-husband could not be monogamous mm -hmm. with me and found ways of dealing with that that were really hurtful to me. And so when he brought up, he actually did bring up at one point this idea of, did I think I could ever be in an open relationship with this him? This is your ex. My ex. Okay. And I had said, you know, not coming to it through cheating. You know, right. I don't think that would work for me because the trust between us is already so eroded and we haven't done the work to put it back together. Mm -hmm. So I kind of just threw it away at the time. And, you know, I, from that point on, just definitely considered myself a serial monogamous. So when 
I got divorced and did lots of dating, I really enjoyed my time, my sexual freedom. I really was out there for the first time in my life, you know, quote unquote, sowing my, sowing my, my wild oats. And so when I met, he was everything <laughs> I had ever wanted or dreamed of in a partner because seemingly we thought we would be monogamous. We both really put family first. We both are professionals. We are as, as the listeners will be able to recognize, he is an incredibly intellectual person. I'm probably not as overtly intellectual, but we, we match on that level. We're in the same industry. We really just hit it off in every aspect. And I just was so thrilled. So when he brought up this concept of female led relationship, I was like, yeah, fuck. Yeah. Like I, I want to be in charge. Like, what does this mean though? Mm -hmm. So that's when I started researching what FLR looked like. And I, kind of noticed really quickly that there was a lot of BDSM involvement in a lot of FLR relationships. And then when he presented me with this contract that he had this language in there about me being able to sexually engage with whomever I wanted, whenever I wanted, and he would be supportive of it. Right. I was like, no. And I like totally like we, we are lawyers and we redline documents all the time for our jobs. <laughs> and so I redlined that out. I was like, hell no, we are not doing this. You know, So let me ask you a question. When, when you read that, did you read it as it was a two way street? No, or you I read knew it, it wasn't. You, or you knew it immediately that this was, you were the one being given that type of freedom. Absolutely. And it, and you were against it from the very beginning. I think my sensibility was against it. My gut, like reaction to this like monogamous life that I was looking for was against it. But I, if I'm being honest right now, I think there was definitely some like kind of tickled my fancy a little bit, but I was like, no, I mean, we both have trust issues. And I was like, I, I don't think that would be successful for us. Mm -hmm. So I redlined it out and then he put it back in. And then <laughs> I, I don't remember exactly the sequence of events, but I know at some point I'm like, okay, we need to talk about this because I did a little research and I did recognize that one arena of FLRs one way of getting to an FLR or one way of getting to cuckolding could be through an FLR, but an FLR can also lead to cuckolding. And so when I read the language, I was like, that's the word for what he wants. When I came across the word cuckold and cuckolding in that concept, I could right. recognize that's, that's what he had put in there. And so that's what leads us to the conversation that we had at Valentine's day in 2019. Right. Okay. So, Prior to this, when you were, whether it was during your serial monogamy time or as you put it, uh, sowing your wild oats, was there ever any kind of kink or even in those times, was it just strictly vanilla? Like even if it was sex with different people, was it still strictly vanilla or did kink start, did kink enter the picture at all? Um, I would say no, not that I would have identified at the time necessarily. Um. I think the only kink that if, if this is considered kink, I know some people consider it yes. And some people consider it no, but for me, every single person that I dated or slept with between the time of my first divorce and meeting E was black or Brown. Mm -hmm. And so that is 
that is the only thing that kind of remained consistent. And, you know, I, I definitely, and I've told E this before too, I think that was a real time of sexual awakening for me in my life, <laughs> really embracing the fact that like, yeah, I'm a slut. Like I love sex. I think it's fantastic. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I can't get enough. Um, and I recognized that I had never had sexual experiences like I was having um, in the aftermath of my divorce. And, you know, I was, took me a little time, I think probably about a year after my first husband and I separated was when I had my first encounter with someone. And after that, it was mm. like off to the races. <laughs> <laughs> and so I would say no, though, I would say in my mind, it was predominantly like vanilla. Right. But I was under no pretense that every single one of these people that I was sleeping with were sleeping with other people. So there was no monogamy going on mm -hmm. in that time. Even if I was monogamous with them, I knew they weren't with me. Right. And I, obviously at some level, it must not have really bothered me that much because I kept it going. Mm -hmm. right. And how long were you single? Like how long did that period last for you? Um, my first husband and I separated in 2012. Mm-hmm. And I met in 2017. Okay. So about five about years, four to five, five, four to five years. Okay. So that's how you both got to this point. So E was talking about um, how you had done some counseling and you guys did the FLR and he put that language in, in the contract. Um, I'm guessing being like you said, you both have, uh, you're both in that same profession Whereas normally someone may have been off put by their partner presenting a contract to them. I guess for you, it was like, okay, cool. This is what we do. I can understand this. This is a language I speak. I get it. You know. So I do feel a need to qualify something a little bit here. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't quite as abrupt as just presenting a contract. There was a conversation that happened so oh, yeah, back and yeah. forth. And we agreed upon, yes. you know, if we're going to do this, um, because we said we both have trust issues with past uh, marriages and it was, we both agreed if we're going to do this, we need some rules. We need some ground rules. We need to know how the FLR works. I'm kind of, a, you know, that's way inclined to set out rules and get into details. A is very much inclined into like, I want games of uh, games, of uh, rules of operation. I want a process. I want. And so the contract was discussed and agreed upon and a mutual idea before Absolutely. I presented it. <laughs> right. For sure. It wasn't just, here you go, sign this. No, well, what, what had really happened also was that we, I don't remember, we read a book too, something about FLRs, but that might have been after the contract no, concept. That was before. Yeah. There's a wonderful book by, I think it's Tay Erica, Tay Erickson. I don't uh, know. Called, um, when to, uh, female relation, led relationships. And they, where we had a, we read that book. We also got the work of a workbook for it, which is a series of kind of sheets to work your way through. Yeah. And so, yeah, so we had read that book. And then from that book, there was a suggestion that it, you should mm -hmm. have a contract. a contract. And so that's where it came about. It wasn't just, uh, even though we are both lawyers, it wasn't quite as transactional as like, okay, you're in. Here you go. Sign this. <laughs> sign this. Initial here. Triplicate here. <laughs> you're notarized there and we're good to go. Right. It was, it was a little more kind of organic and relationship and relational. Okay. So what I'm curious about is you said that you, uh, the term you used was red line and, and kind of took the things out and then he put them back in. What was it that, 
that made you start considering it? Like what, what, what took it from a hell no to a hmm to a okay? Like how was that progression for you? As far so, as how you looked at it. Well, I mean, I, I know what he's thinking, so I know why he's laughing. So I can, I think, go into a little bit of depth there. So for me, what he alluded to earlier was that there were some elements of my dating past that created a lot of insecurities and jealousies in, in, from him toward me right. in our relationship centered around my dating past and the fact that I had predominantly dated black and brown men. Mm-hmm. And he had definitely let me know that there was, that he perceived a real lack of when I would, for whatever reason, we thought it was a really good idea to share literally everything. (laughs) And when I would describe either sexual relationships with these other people or the relationships themselves, he would really perceive a, a real difference between how I was in those situations versus how I was with him. Can you get, can you, can you kind of give my listeners an example? S- certainly. Um, I mean, I think the one that he loves to bring up the most is that with one of these guys, we had sex in a nightclub bathroom mm-hmm. and he's like, you would never do that with me, you know? And, and he would also think about or visualize or fantasize about what he thought I was like during sex with these people versus what he was receiving from me when we were having sex. And, and this was causing a problem. It was causing like a problem. Like this wasn't like hot bedroom talk. Like this was something that was Correct. A, I mean, a, a rift between you this two. This was a serious enough problem that there was at least two or three separate occasions where I had divorce papers drawn up ready to present enough of a problem. So just to kind of go into that a little bit and just to kind of ask E, and I don't, I don't, you know, obviously you guys work through it because here you are today. Um, but I'm kind of curious being that this was, cause this, this wasn't like she had cheated on you. This was stuff that she had done in her life before she even met you. So right. where I'm just kind of understand where was your troubles coming from? So there's a compartmentalization that was going on and it still does to be absolutely honest, but it's now kind of a, positive thing that we kind of embrace and it's a a radically charged. And it's not to do with just something as kind of gauche as physical as penis size, because I'm, you know, at least would say I'm, I'm on the larger size for a white guy. I'm not, I'm not by any means like under the six inches and six inch mark at all. Uh, But, and some of these guys, some of the black or brown guys were, so it's not to do with that. It's to do with, and we work this out in therapy. So if I'm talking for you, please jump in and stop me here had a habit You're making of, my editing job so much harder. Yeah. <laughs> but, saying each other's names. Oh, sorry. Sorry. A, so A, so A had a, A has a very strong professional and personal ability to compartmentalize. And mm-hmm. one of the things we realized in therapy was A had a very strong way to compartmentalize what is the good girl, mom, wife, and what is the free, liberated, bad girl having fun slut. Mm-hmm. And so with a husband, it doesn't matter what was going on. She could not kind of get into the same mindset. And that's still the same today. I mean, the exact same, uh, you know, I can, and I, I say this candidly and it's true. I can make a have orgasm stronger than she may have with any ball. Right but she will not be as kind of worked up and panting and excited and physically demonstrative 
as she is in that situation. As she is immediately with a ball because there's something that is, it's the two parts of her that she has compartmentalized, the good girl kind of mom and wife that she's always been raised in her right. religious upbringing and the kind of free, independent, contrarian breaking taboos. And so wherever, and the reason I bring this up is not to kind of you know, say, I know my wife better than anybody and I'm describing her because that's kind of male bullshit, I know. But no, the reason I bring it up is that came out a lot over the course of a year of therapy in that the problem was, you know, I would feel that I'm kind of not being given access to all of A. And so that was, that was where it came up from. It's like, right. it's like how, how I love you so much, I'm giving you everything. You know, it's like, um, I'm giving you everything I can where I'm, 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 you know, I went through a career change, for example, which we didn't know if she was giving up all of her income. It turns out she was incredibly successful at a new career change. But, you know, my thought process at the time was like, I'm supporting the family. I'm giving you a home. I'm giving you everything here. And yet you kind of have a part of you that you choose not to let me see or have access to. And so that was difficult at the time. Now I, I welcome it and I right. celebrate it. It's like, it's amazing. Like when she's with a ball and the few times I've been able to see her with a ball, it's amazing to see that side of her come out or that side come out in the videos. Mm. Um, because it's a, it's a letting loose that she can't do when she's in the role as a mom and wife. So let me, let me inter interject something just is, is, is how I'm processing it. I'm just kind of curious I can understand where you're coming from as far as, hey, there's this part of you that I would love to experience. They got to experience it. I want to experience it. But at the same time, did you ever think about the fact that, well, there's a part of her that you are getting that they never had access to? Like, did the fact that she loved you and never loved any of them, did that ever balance anything out? Or, yeah, or, or did you just look at it strictly as... No, I, was, I know I'm getting your love, but I want the physical stuff that they had too. Yes. And no, I was very aware of that. And we had lots of discussions where A would bring up the unfairness of that. Um, and for better or worse, the, the reason why that was still difficult, right, is because that stuff, the, you're getting the love, you're getting the domestic side. Mm -hmm. um, that's always come easily, right? Every partnership I've had before A someone was more than happy to give me that. Right. You know? So there's nothing anyone's ever held back on that side. So it's like, that's the stuff where you're like, okay, that's wonderful. That's beautiful. But everyone has given me that. That's not the, like the, you have this unique, special part of you, but nobody else had. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of showing it to me and then saying, yep, it's not for you. It's over here. <laughs> it's, you know, it's kind of, and so, for better or worse, and I know it's not fair, and I, I had a tremendous amount of guilt about it at the time, mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm, I don't try to justify it in any way, a part of me was like, well, I don't give a crap about that stuff because that's the stuff that everyone has given me. And I, I, I can walk out tomorrow right. and throw an ad on Match.com and have 20 other people wanting to give me that stuff <laughs> tomorrow, right. just like you could, you know, just like A could. Um, it's this kind of special, unique part of you. You wanted the sled side. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you wanted to, you know, you wanted to experience the the wild a. Exactly, exactly. So, and, and so, like I said, a tremendous amount of guilt about how unfair that was because, like you're you're saying, there is part of me that should be like, you know what, these guys get the slut side of a, but I get the best part of her, mm -hmm. and I and intellectually, right, and rationally, 
That's exactly where I was. Right. But none of that deals with the emotional side, which is emotionally, like, you wanted all of it. You wanted it's everything. Like, it's like, well, that's that sucks. <laughs> <laughs> it's the right. So. And so I think to bring that back around to your original question in terms of how how did I get from the point of redlining it out to starting to think about it? Mm -hmm. I did have to recognize that he was right about this part of me that was compartmentalized. And for those out there who have a really great therapist, ours was, she really challenged us a ton, but she also really helped me understand this, what the duality he was talking about in therapy terms, they call a Madonna whore complex. Right. And I really had it. And I started to realize that I did want him to see that part of me. I just didn't know how to access it differently than I knew how to access it. Mm -hmm. And so I started thinking about it and thinking, gosh, this last year of our marriage has been so hard because of this. And it's really kind of pit us against each other at times. What if, what if this would help? What if this would help him see that he's not missing out on anything with me because he's a part of that too. Right. And so that's how I started thinking about it. And what he will tell you and why he was <laughs> laughing is because once I understand something or once I make a decision or once I start to think about something, I'm going to go from zero to 60 real fucking quick. Right. Mm -hmm. And I jump in feet first. I have no idea of the consequences. And we were having that conversation in February at Valentine's Day of 2019. Actually, a couple of days after that. Because it was actually, yeah, was, we had it was like two or three days afterwards. We had the kids. Well, yeah. And so we were out February 17th of 2019. And by March, March 13th, 13th of 2019, I was in bed with a bull. Okay. <laughs> so so you, once you made the decision, full steam ahead, let's, let's get rocking and rolling. Right. Okay. And so we can take the conversation wherever you want from here, but that's how quickly things were moving for us at that point. And I just don't do anything half-ass. Right. I just don't. And right. you're a force of nature. Yes. So in every good way, let me do our force of nature kind of to build on that a little bit. I'm always curious to talk to couples to hear. It's one thing when all of this is just talking speculation you know, it would be so hot to see you or to, to know that you were with another guy. And, you know, it, it, it's it's very hot to talk about and kind of role play it in bed and imagine what you would do in certain situations. And then there's real life. Boy, is there. <laughs> and so I'm curious to hear, how did you handle that first time? Meaning the first question, were you present when she played the first time? Terribly. Uh, handled it really, really bad. Now, um, were, so, you, were you were you there as it was happening? No. Um, so I was actually working and commuting to LA at mm -hmm. the time. And so I was so going to be home that night. So I was in LA uh, and I was in LA this particular week. I normally was in LA. My schedule used to be I was in LA from Wednesday morning through Friday afternoon. And I'd get this later flight back on Friday and get back in about... 10 or 11 o'clock at night on a Friday. Um, and so this particular Friday, this particular week I was in LA, I got a call. It, wasn't, it actually wasn't a call. It was a text. Cause I remember I was walking out of my hotel and getting in my Uber to go to the office, mm -hmm. go to my office in LA. Um, and I got, and, and A and I were texting back and forwards. And this was Thursday morning. And so, 
on the Thursday morning, a your kind of text and said, you know what? I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to see this guy. Um, uh, it's night or tomorrow. Don't know yet. Now, just to, just to make just to make sure that my listeners are keeping up with everything. The contract was already in place. The contract was in place. And this was fine. We've been talking about cook all right. day, So this was all agreed. But I'm just saying this is how quickly it happened. There wasn't like a long-term discussion. There was actually a discussion about this one particular person uh, the week before. And then right. they decided, you know what? No, I don't want to. I'm done. Mm-hmm. It's not going to happen. And then so we actually put it off and put it to bed. And then on the Wednesday, I was at my office in LA. And I got we were, we were texting backwards and forwards about how... I don't want to do it. This is not a good idea. I don't think we should do this from A. Mm-hmm. And that was like the conversation all day Wednesday. And then all day Thursday, it was kind of like, well, you know, we shouldn't do it. But it wasn't as adamant. And then all of a sudden, that was nowhere. It was like, hey, I was driving down this road and I drove past this guy's house and the song came on that had his name in it. So I'm taking that as a sign and I'm going to do it tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, I had actually arranged to come home earlier that Friday. Because of just the way my work schedule worked out, it was actually, there was a bunch of stuff going on at LAX. Um, if this was the time it was the, there was Uber strikes going on. There was a bunch of other stuff going on. This was, it was obviously pre-COVID. It was 2019, but there was just a lot of stuff going on at LAX at the time that led to lots of flights being canceled. Right. So this was one of those particular weeks where all these flights got canceled. On that day, there was weather. It was, if you remember, this is when there was the big rains that led mm. to mudslides and things. So if there was a couple of weeks in LAX where you had a chance of 50-50 chance of ever getting out on your flight. Right. So this was one of those days where they started canceling all the flights. I moved my flight like four hours earlier. Um, and so um, then he's like, I'm going to do it tonight. And I didn't want to dissuade her. So I just flew home and mm. didn't tell her I was coming home early. And then I came back to our house. And then A was out with this guy. Mm-hmm. And then she came back to our house. I thought she was going to this guy's house, but she actually came back to our house because he had gone home to, I forget what, feed his dog or something. And then he was going to come over to our house to play. And A saw me there and she was like, no way. That's not happening. You're not, it's not happening here. And she hit the roof about me being home early. And so she called the guy and she arranged and she went over to his house instead. Right. So I wasn't there. And I think because of the way all that went down and the confusion, we had a very not positive reaction when she got home. To me, it felt very much like cheating the way I'd been cheated out of it or out of the experience of being there. It didn't feel like it was inclusive. I felt like I'd definitely been excluded from the entire process. It, again, looking back at it now, I see the unfairness of my reaction and response. Mm. But in the moment, right. all I felt at the time was like, what the hell? This was supposed to be something to that we shared. That we, that we shared because right. there's this part of you that we were trying to get me access to. And now, rather than you being able to include me in this part of you, we kind of just doubled down on you having this part of you being, yeah, this is a part you don't get to see. Um, I'm going to tap into it again, and I'm going to I'm going to exclude you this time too. Right. So, so it's like it was almost it almost felt like a doubling down. Like, a, you're right. I finally agreed and admitted that there's something that I deliberately don't let you see, and I'm going to do it again. <laughs> you got something that you want to say? Eh? 
the language that gets used, you know, for me when he says that I, you know, he's saying that I acknowledge that I deliberately don't let him see it. It's not something that I ever recognized in myself. It's not that you were intentionally setting out to do. No, absolutely not. So it always, you know, semantically, I'm always like, there's no deliberateness here. You're absolutely right. right, He's using that word again. She's absolutely right. I I mean deliberateness in in terms of how it felt to me. I'm not saying that that is by any means there was a deliberateness. Right. There was an, in, I, I, get, I think a better word would be intentional. It felt like an intentional exclusion, even though it wasn't. Right. And, uh, and so, so we, we had a little bit of a false start because of that. Um, but that, but part of what happens afterwards, right, is you realize afterwards how the, the um, calamity of a false start was all based in kind of, the fault of one person. And in this case, the fault was me. Mm-hmm. I reacted wrong. I saw it wrong. As, as A just said. <laughs> so as A just said, um, there was a, there was no deliberateness. There was no intention to exclude. There, it was, it was kind of more instinctual on her part. And I overreacted. And I, so me kind of being upset by it all. And coming, when you look back at it, it's like, wow, this is amazing. But there's this part of you. And the only problem with this part of you and the only problem with this situation was my sense of kind of exclusion or my sense of entitlement. Right. And so, but it takes a while to get over that. <laughs> I mean, you, you bring up an interesting point and it's, it's, I've, I've, I've encountered it with other couples that I've met, you know, through my time in, in this lifestyle. And it's actually something that I may do an episode on because I see it so frequently. And that is, I see husbands that they have this idea in their mind of how they want their wife to cuckold them. Yes. And then when she doesn't do it that way, they're like, no, you're, it's almost like when, you, when you're trying to teach somebody to do something and they start doing it and they're not doing it right and you want to jump in like, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. You're supposed to do it like this. Yes. You know, and I see a lot of husbands that, that do that. Like they get upset or bothered by their wife's behavior because she's not doing it the way that they want her to do it or the way that they picture her doing it. And oftentimes when I see that come up, it's like they have this fantasy in their mind and they try to take their wife and kind of like Play-Doh. They they try to like force her through that fantasy and, you know, when you were little, you'd have the Play-Doh thing and you stick it in, you push the handle down and Absolutely. bring it out in the shape of a star. It's like, that's what they try to do with their wife. And then eventually, and it sounds like you had this epiphany yourself, you realize my wife is not a piece of Play-Doh. You know, I can't put her in this mold and get the result. You know, all I can do is present it to her and hopefully she'll do it in a way that is appealing to me but I have to let her find her own way. Absolutely. I wish, I wish I could agree with the word epiphany. Epiphany gives me way more credit <laughs> than I've earned or deserved. Epiphany would suggest it was like a road to Damascus moment where you're hit in the face by a conversion <coughs> and you know, the, the, the right. clouds part. It was definitely more of a process. I think that's for me why the FLR is even more important than the sexual side of cuckolding. Because it, for me, it's still a process. I still realize, even today, as much as I love being a cuck, and as much as I love being A's cuck, 
there are moments where you know your male toxic self and your control tendencies that have been drilled into us for our entire life come out and it's like no i've i it should be this way and you're mm-hmm. doing it quite right and the flr to me is the more important seminal portion of kind of effectively learning and unlearning that and un- and giving up that control in terms of you know what i have to trust in the result and trust that you will get us to the right result mm-hmm. and that the result in terms of what is the right result is what you a have decided is the right result right and not what i have decided is the right result so not only do i have to trust you to drive the bus i have to trust you to choose the, di- the destination mm-hmm. and i have to have faith in that you will drive the bus correctly and get us to the destination correctly as you a define correctly not as i define correctly right. and so that is an ongoing process it is absolutely an ongoing process and i would say you know if it's a journey of a thousand steps i from where I was one step in mm-hmm. on that first night, I am maybe a hundred steps in right now. And I know I still have 900 steps to go right. to get to where I need to be. So let me ask you this. You said that first time didn't go well at all. Um, did Was the second time better? Like how, how many, like, first of all, how long did it take you to have a second time? Like how long was that break between the first time you tried it and the, 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 the second time you tried it. I don't know, what do you think? I, don't I think wouldn't it- say there was a break because what I will also say about E is that even if he has a terrible reaction in a moment, mm-hmm. normally within 24 hours, usually much less, he will realize that he reacted rather than responded. And he will come to me and say, I'm really sorry. Mm-hmm. It wasn't fair. I'd really. So in this particular situation, if I recall correctly, I think you really were hungry for a do over. I, so. I think you really wanted an opportunity for us to set the stage and do it in a way that felt like what you were looking for and what really would have made it work. And what I will also say is. He knew up front that I wasn't initially comfortable with the idea of him being present because mm-hmm. I didn't think I would be able to do it right. if he was there. And so I do think we had another encounter pretty quickly with that same person, maybe within two or three weeks. And soon thereafter, that individual was not a good selection for us right? for lots of reasons that we don't need to go into, but Soon thereafter, I, we found Cassidy somehow. And initially when we were on Cassidy. And that's I, a website, not a person for those of you that don't know. Cass, <laughs> yes. Cassidy is a, is a, Cassidy. a swing, com. swing, oh, swing site. And I know people are like, who's that? Who's that? This guy is that? <laughs> <Who's> that? <laughs> so we found that site. I actually found it and told him about it. Right. And he created an account for us pretty quickly. And what I recognized, first of all, as much as I appreciate what they do in the space, I think the user experience is pretty terrible and I've never really enjoyed being on there. And initially I just thought, okay, understanding the mistakes we had made with the first person, I thought let's hand some of the reins over to E so that he can do a little vetting, Mm -hmm. do a little communication. And he found someone for us to meet for our first time together with someone. And we met that person together. And that was, in the month of 
April. It was April. That was a couple of weeks later. So it wasn't too long after that we tried to branch out and start meeting new bulls. Mm -hmm. And that was that experience was the first time that we did play with him, with E together. Right. And we met that person together, um, vetted them together, like in person. And so, you know, it just kind of went from there. And again, and I, you certainly am happy to let him tell the story, but there were also some really difficult reactions that came from that experience. Like, so, if you don't mind, if, if you don't mind going into that. Well, I think, and again, I feel like this should be more his story to tell, but my perception of what was happening is as much as it turned him on, it was also really difficult for him to finally see what he had always perceived as this gap between what he got and what somebody else got. Right. He finally got to see it in person. And prove that it was and it, real. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so I think seeing that was probably both, if, my, if I'm guessing, was probably both an incredible turn on and also a huge difficulty. I would it's like, that. wow, that's what I'm missing. That's like exactly you, right. Like you see it. It's right there in front of you. It's unfiltered. It's well, uncensored. You're seeing it right there in full color right in front of you. And like you said, it, it can be difficult for some husbands to see that. Yeah. And there's also, right. There's also the fact that until I think that particular instance, there was a large part of me, but I tried to be fair and see both sides. So a large part of me was convinced I was right. And that there was this part that was being withheld and convinced that we'd kind of discovered that during therapy, but I didn't know. I knew I could be wrong. Right. <laughs> it's right. So it's like, I'm pretty certain my hypothesis is right. Mm -hmm. And A actually agrees with the hypothesis. And our therapist, as we've talked ad nauseum about the hypothesis. But that moment, it, put, but it, it might it, it, still it, be wrong. It put it in stone. Like, oh, yeah, right. it's, it's a exactly. real thing. It's like, oh, there's that's no, right. It's no, it's no longer a hypothesis. <laughs> it's a fact. You know, right. it's an indisputable yeah. fact exactly. that she reacts one way in a different way with me. And you also probably saw that the gap is probably larger than you had even yeah, absolutely. thought it was. Absolutely. And the thing is, you know, everybody has their different dating histories they bring to it. Right. And I had just previous to a gone through a spell of dating history where one of my best friends is another female lawyer. One of my mm. best friends of the time. She's a, she's, but she's a, a body boy's boy type of a lawyer. Mm -hmm. And we shared some friends and one of these friends that we share in common, I had kind of hooked up with. And, you know, again, I, I hate to say this because it doesn't sound very cuck-like, but I had been kind of been built and told, you know, I was the best person this had ever been with. I mean, this, this person I was with was all over like how, how great I was in bed, mm -hmm. how amazing it was. And so I had always come from a, pl a place of not having any complaints about that and actually see getting that type of the, the type of response that a was giving other guys was the type of response but, i was used to girls giving me right <laughs> so it was kind of a double whammy that not it fucked only with was, your ego it, it fucked with my ego totally yeah, it the fucked ego. With your ego and it, it, it fucked with my ego in two ways right way one was like any guy being hit from it and way two was you know I had seen myself one way and now I was being knocked off the pedestal and seen myself mm -hmm. another way. And so it was like a double whammy. Right. And so there's absolutely, um, and I, I would, I would say it, that experience wasn't 
all difficult. It was actually a lot of fun and we had a great time for the first three or four hours. And it was actually about only about 1.32 in the morning when I was actually exhausted and ready to go to sleep. And A got up to walk the ball out the door and all of a sudden she's bending over in there and the ball is kind of starting up again. <laughs> and that's yeah. when it was like a difficult moment when you were bending over to receive him of the bottom of the bed as, as you as was walking so like, In your I'm mind, like, you're like, damn, I'm still? I'm like, damn, we're done. <laughs> it's like, yeah. Well, you were done. Yeah, exactly. You were done and you wanted her to be done, but she, again, you were projecting Right, you know, and, and saying ASP. I'm done. He, you, you should be done too. You wanted her to be on your well, schedule, and seeing that she wasn't, like you say, was kind of fucking yeah. with you. And here's, here's a my wife who normally is like, dear lord, it's nine thirty. Can yeah, you like, get the hell out of my house already yeah, like, for anybody else? Like, there's a part of you that's like, okay, dude, stop showing off. Like, that's exactly. Right. <laughs> no, it's, you know, yeah. So that you know, that was another like difficult experience, and that's I think part of the reason that we were interested in having this conversation with you too is because I just want people to know that first of all, any type of non-traditional relationship when you've only been in traditional relationships, if you decide to take this leap, it is tough. The road is much less traveled, and there is no guidebook for how to do it. And I just don't want people to think that it must not be right for them if it's not easy mm. because there for us has been nothing easy about this. But I will also say that there has been nothing that has brought us closer and nothing Absolutely. that has improved our communication. And I think we are leaps and bounds ahead of where we were when we first started mm. into this. and. Trying, making a decision to step into cuckolding is like in, especially when you're in a situation, you know, people always say don't have children to fix a problem in your marriage. Mm. Well, don't try cuckolding to fix a problem in your marriage. And I won't say that's exactly what we did. I also think there was a lot of recognition of him toward me for like, what are my, what are my desires? What, how do I respond best? And I think there were a lot of acknowledgments on my end for him about what his fantasies were. So that definitely was true, but we also were trying to fix a roadblock that we were at and it's going to get much worse before it gets better. If that's how you're entering into it Mm -hmm. and looking back on it, even though we never do anything half-assed and we jump right in, we also recognize that there are times that maybe we need to slow down and actually communicate the hell out of something a little bit more before we actually take a step. And so all of that said, I mean, we've spent the last 18 months really taking different avenues to get to where we are today. We were having a conversation with you earlier, Michael, about how with cuckolding, there is no one way to kind of get to your destination. And if you look at it, like, you know, you look at a map and there's Austin, Texas, and there's a million ways that you can get to Austin, Texas from any different point in the U S. And I just want people to understand too, that there are a million varieties of cuckolding. There is a spectrum of what side people fall on with things. And there is also levels of difficulty that some people slide right into it with ease and grace and other people fall into it. And it basically, you feel like you're in fight club for the first fucking year. And that's Mm. where we were. We were in fight club Mm -hmm. (laughs) and you know, we really went through some trials and tribulations and figuring out our dynamic. And I would say it's only been 
I think I hate to say that there's like a rosy side of COVID because there are people suffering. There are people dying. There's a lot of people depressed and isolated from community. But for he and I, over the last eight months, I think we have seen the most growth in our relationship because there has been so much time and attention and togetherness that we have really been able to explore this dynamic in a way that has brought us a lot closer. And I think where we are today is much different than where we were three months ago, different from where we were three months before that. And I think we are finally finding our footing, even though it's still hard sometimes. It still has hard moments. I would say it's, I would, I wouldn't say it's hard anymore in the way that it's like that, but it has hard moments mm-hmm. that come up. Um, but I would say this, I mean, I would say in terms of a journey, it's, if the journey was super easy and if something is super easy and super attainable, it usually means it's not worth having. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, you know, anything worth having is worth, fighting for. is worth fighting for. And anything like cuckolding, which has so much reward and so much great stuff on the other side in terms of intimacy, in terms of closeness, in terms of knowing each other truly and seeing each other truly is not going to be an easy have to get through to get to that stage. I mean, people are incredibly complicated. Even, you know, even the best person in the world, even the Dalai Lama has his dark sides that we don't know mm. about. Maybe, maybe he hates kittens. Who knows? Right. Um, but so, and the thing about cuckolding is, right, is what you're really doing is you're saying, this is me, as messy as I am. Mm. I'm able to be nice and charming and supportive and financially give you all these wonderful things if that's what you want or give you all these you know kind of whatever it is that i can do that's nice for you but on the other hand here's what's here's what's messy about me here's my kinks here's my insecurities insecurities here's all of that type stuff and same with you know a with with her like i'm smart i'm beautiful i'm sexy i'm financially secure myself i'm successful i'm educated all these wonderful things but then and here's my things. Here's my kinks. I, I have, you know, responses sexually to people that look very different than you. And I right. need that. Here's, and that's gonna make you feel insecure. Here's what I need in terms of how I get kind of my thrill in the sexual realm, but is not from you or here's, or even, even here's just like, here's my, here's what I don't like. Here's my irritations. Here's where I don't like people that are messy. Here's that I don't like people that are not organized. <laughs> All of this stuff sexual non-sexual cuckolding vanilla right it's all there and the beautiful thing about cuckolding and the beautiful thing about seeing that honestly is if you can look at that person and see all those amazing things and just adore them for who they are like i do with a mm-hmm. it's so much more enriching because i don't ever have to worry about you know finding out something i don't know about her or that she's not the fancy that i've made her out to be or she's not the archetype that i've imagined that i know the real her right i know everything about her and the pedestal i put her on because of it is 30 foot higher than it would be if i was putting a kind of fake view of her that i thought she should be right on it and it's beautiful and she gives i i think you and i had this conversation earlier on michael it's um to me it's like from the outside looking in, mm-hmm. cuckolding seems to be about selfishness and selflessness. 
And if you look on the surface to you know someone coming in for a first time or someone doesn't understand it, the cuckoldress seems like the most selfish person in the world. You know, the world revolves around her sexual pleasure. She gets to be with whoever she wants to be with. She gets to do whatever she wants to do. And right. In, in she has all the freedom in the world. Right. And in the FLR, it's even more so. She has all the control, right? Mm-hmm. So, because she's the leader. So she gets to choose how we spend our money. She gets to choose where we go on vacation. She gets to choose what we watch on TV in the evening or, or how our, any decision around how our kids are raised. Um, and that seems on its surface like, wow, that's awesome for her. It's really, she's living a really cool, selfish life. And look at the poor cook of the, the um, sub, if it's an FLR terminology. Mm. Wow, he's really selfless. He's letting her do whatever he wants. He's wearing a cock cage so he doesn't even get to jerk off and come when he wants to. He's, <laughs> he's bringing home his salary and having it put in the bank account that somebody else controls and gives him an allowance. All of these things. But the reality is that's really superficial, right? Mm-hmm. If you if you scratch that surface and you look underneath, it's actually completely the opposite. Um, the cuckoldress is actually the selfless one. She's you know she's giving of herself to be absolutely and totally naked and exposed in that relationship about who she really is, about all these ways that she's not being the Madonna to use. Com, uh, to use A's complex from earlier on, to use a, kind of, yeah the Madonna. To use A's complex, she's not being the Madonna. Um, she is you know kind of risking everything that she has been told she needs to be in mm-hmm. society. She's not a good mom. She's not a good wife because she's doing all this. And right. She's 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 selflessly letting you see all of that truth about her, and she's giving you the cook the thing that you want the most, your king. Mm-hmm. And so the cook. Uh, at least in my view, I see this in myself all the time. Every time I look in the mirror, for me, I'm not the selfless one. I'm the selfish bastard in this situation because mm. I'm getting what I want. I'm, right. I'm getting her to be raw and exposed and vulnerable and you know, um, giving me what my kink and my need and my desire is. And she's selflessly doing that and I'm selfishly kind of taking it and enjoying it. And on times when I get jealous or insecure, I'm selfishly effectively asking her to put, you know, kind of put herself in the line of fire for me being, and I I do want to clarify when we have say bad reactions, there's never any kind of physicality. You're just talking about, like you say, just reacting to it poorly. My particular version of bad reactions is I, you know, I'm, as Andy said, I'm a lawyer. I'm particularly, um, good in a bad way of cutting comments and little what she calls little jabs where it'll just right. be like a little comment and a little passive aggressive comment then leave the room and not talk for two or three days and kind of make you know it's uh so it's it's definitely more of a kind of passive aggressive baby temper tantrum tout pouting right on my part more than anything i believe so, I, I believe we were talking earlier and the word brat came up the word brat exactly <laughs> so it's not when well, that's the type of bad reaction we're talking about um but the point is she every single time she's selflessly kind of giving me and including me she's putting herself in the risk of me giving one of those bad responses and bad reactions and there's nothing in this world i'm more grateful for i've never loved anyone as much as i love and i've as much i've never loved anyone as much as i love a and i've never had anyone on the pedestal that i have a on Right, um, and in every single relationship I've had before this, every single relationship. So let me let me ask you something. Um, you were talking about 
the reaction that you had the first time and then the second time, you know, several hours in and he's still going and you were like, okay, enough already. When did you feel yourself starting to turn the corner where you were having those negative types of feelings less and less? Like, did, did you have an <laughs> aha moment or yeah. like what, 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 what I'm sure there are people who are listening who are, who are going through the same things and they're listening to this like, okay, well, what got you over it? What got you over that hump? Every single time, if there's one piece of advice I can give to any cook out there that's going through this, but it's taken me a year, a year and a half to learn. And I'm still nowhere near as good as, as I would like to be. Is say sorry the second, and say sorry and back down and capitulate and surrender the second you realize you're wrong. Because there's a, to me, it's like a Venn diagram, right? There's the first circle which is when you have an emotional response like, you excluded me, you kept me out of this, you're not not sharing it with me, you didn't do what I wanted, and all the jealousy comes up. Mm -hmm. There's the second Venn diagram, which is the, holy shit, I'm an asshole. Mm -hmm. I was totally wrong. She did everything right. I did everything wrong. Oh my God, I've got to show her how much I love love her and be grateful for this. And then when the two overlap, there's this, mystery gray area that's in between the Venn diagram, which is the moment where what you are saying is still in the first circle. Right. But what you are thinking in your head is, shit, I'm totally wrong here. How do I get out of this? Right. How do I do a U-turn at this point? Like because the, I'm committed. I'm really? on, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm halfway down. I'm 20 miles down a 40-mile length of railroad track in a one-way direction. How mm. do I turn around? Um, the one lesson I've learned and I'm still not as good at it as I would like, but I'm a million times better than I was when we've started, is stop the train the second you realize that. Mm. Don't. It's because there's nothing to be gained. There's no pride to be gained. There's nothing to be saved. There's nothing from continuing to dig the hole when you realize you are wrong. Right. That's the one thing I would say to any, any cuck. You are going to have bad responses and jealous responses at that time. The entire purpose behind cuckolding is so that the cuckolder is your wife can get these amazing, wonderful experiences, be it physical, be it just mental. You know, cause in A's case, there's, we always say there's two categories for her mm-hmm. physicality, you know, physicology uh, and psychology. She, in terms of her physicality, there is something about, you know, a bigger dick about reaching in and, you know, kind of hitting that service. But there's also for her a very strong psychology that she has a particular type that turns her on and her type is she prefers black men you know, and that's what turns her on. So the entire point is, it, it, the entire point of cuckolding is so that she can enjoy those things that I can never give her. I just can't. I can't tap into that psycho, uh, psychological trigger she has that unleashes that piece of her. And that's beautiful so that she can have an outlet to get that. So the entire point of cuckolding is to give her that wonderful thing. But as the cook, you're going to have moments where that is really hard where it hits you like a ton of bricks that you can't give her that and you're going to feel insecure. And if you respond and react out of jealousy, course correct as soon as you realize that. Because the worst damage that's done is when you are in that middle zone, when you realize you have gone into that second Venn diagram of, oh shit, I'm in the wrong. Mm -hmm. But you are still, you know, it's like a a freight train where the brakes are screeching and you hear that noise but the train is still skidding along the tracks with right. wheels locked up. So let me, let me ask you this. Like, obviously that's great advice. You know, once you find yourself having messed up, I guess what I'm curious about is 
are you in a situation now or are you at a point in this where you were messing up with less frequency? Absolutely. And, and so my question to piggyback on that is what's helped you stop reacting poorly? Like, like what, which changed in the way that you see things, which changed in the way that you digest it, that keeps you from having those negative type of reactions in the first place, which then prevents you from even going off in that direction in the first place. Like e- which change, which different ego it's you have the word on the head. When you said the word ego, mm-hmm. that's a key, right? Your ego is all of your kind of insecurities, your childhood trauma, your, your, your kind of your pain body, all of that stuff that's in there. And when you first, if you are coming into something like that, we all have our own triggers. Mm-hmm. We all have our own pain body from our childhood, from our, you know, from anywhere in our life, from our past relationships, from divorces, from things like that. And when you can realize, wait, holy crap, I'm, I'm not responding. Like with, with A, when we, our biggest breakthrough with co-culting was when I realized when I get jealous and insecure about her, like when she's enjoying her time with a ball or enjoying one of these things, those, those moments of insecurity and jealousy have nothing to do with her. I'm right. not seeing her. I'm seeing somebody else who has, you know, to use your Play-Doh analogy, she's, she may not be going through the Play-Doh magic fun machine and coming out in the shape I want, mm-hmm. but she's coming out in the shape of something that's hurt you before. And so realizing that is like, okay, so I want you to be a star. Mm-hmm. Um, you are coming out. Uh, I, I, I want you to a star every other time you come out as a square, which is not the star that I want you to be, but that's still good. But now you're coming out as a triangle and somebody else was a triangle at some time in the past. And that triangle hurt me like hell. Right. And so I'm responding to you as a triangle. It's like, holy shit, you're my ex-girlfriend from 1998. Or holy crap. You're my ex-girlfriend to, from 2006. It's right. like, wait, wait, no, you're not. What am I doing here? So, you're, so you, were, you were punishing her for the sins of what they had done. Yeah. Or just the feelings that it evokes. Right. And so realizing that, and that's the big key and realizing how amazing this entire thing is that she has these beautiful, beautiful needs and part of her and these beautiful desires and these beautiful, amazing ability to experience pleasure in a certain way. And that is not a threat. That's not, that's not the triangle that hurt you. Even if it's the square, that's not the star shape that you thought you were forcing out of a Play-Doh machine. Mm-hmm. The square is something beautiful in its own right. Right. Exactly. It's not, <laughs> but it's not the triangle that you think is threatening. It's just a beautiful, amazing part of that person that you should accept, not just accept, but celebrate and adore. And I see a, and all of these things that turn her on and give her pleasure and how much she loves time with her balls. And a does have a particular type. She only is exclusive to black balls. Mm -hmm. And so she has, you know, and seeing how that brings her joy and brings her so much kind of like what we were talking about this morning. Um, what was the expression we were saying? You're, you're not like a submissive slut or a pain slut. You're a happy slut because it brings you joy. It's just right. like, it's such gleeful kind of almost gleeful gluttony celebration. It's almost like a, you know, it's like a bacchanalia in mm. terms of how much joy she gets out of it. To just be able to celebrate that and realize that that's no threat to you. And if it was a threat to you, you would never have wanted this in the first place. It's, you still want to be a cuck. You still are a cuck. It's still beautiful that your wife or girlfriend or whoever your cuckoldress is, is, a, is, you know, kind of in all their slutty glory. It's just you have these moments where she doesn't look like a cuckoldress or, a, you know, 
wife or a girlfriend to you. She looks like something that's hurt you in the past. Right. And that, and it's just a glimmer and a shadow of a recollection of something that's not there. And you are freaking out about that. Mm-hmm. So just as a guy, as a cook, for me, what's stopped it for me is realizing that. And when it happens, it's like, okay, who am I pissed at? I'm not pissed at what's going on here. Right. You're I'm not, not mad at her because she didn't do anything. I'm not mad at A because she has this, you know, huge dick in her mouth or whatever I'm seeing at a moment because that's happened, you know, dozens of times before. Mm-hmm. So it's not that it's something else about the situation. It's something else about something she said, something about the situation we're in. It's some deja vu for something else. Uh, that's a proxy for your pain body that's triggered and find out what that is and don't blame the situation that's in front of you. So earlier we were talking about, I guess the thing that kind of sparked all of this was your desire to see that part of her that up to that point, guys other than you were, were getting to see, how have you reconciled with that part of it? Like, where do you stand today on that, on the concept of her being one way with her bulls and another way with you, how have you kind of reconciled and kind of come to terms with that? So I think I've already, I think it's what I already said, right? Which is I've realized that that is, even if that is true, mm-hmm. and I think it's, it is still true. I think when I see, when, when I see her with a ball, I get to see that. But as a, we'll talk about, that's been very rare. I mean, I would say 95% or more of A's playing has been by herself and solo. It's, it's been very, very rare. In 18 months and 13 balls, uh, I've seen her four times out of what, what are, right? Yeah, on, four or five. Yeah, four, four or five at most. Uh, and the other, you know, 50, 100 times or whatever, I haven't. So, so I, I know so a lot of the, the cucks are going to be wondering this. What is it like when you get to watch her? What's that like? It's amazing. It's mind blowing because I get to see who she is. And, and the, the, the thing that's different to go back to tie that into your prior question about how that's changed is it's realizing what a beautiful part that is and celebrating that instead of judging her mm-hmm. or this part that she holds back, it's celebrating that she has this part she can access as well. It's celebrating that this brings her pleasure. This brings her joy mm-hmm. and it never belonged to me. I never had a right to it. It wasn't a possession. Um, it's not something I was entitled to. I'm not being cheated out of anything. And I, I say that word not as in, you know, when we talk about people having affairs, the word, the reason we use cheating, right, is because it's, they're not cheating on a test. It's because the partner that is the one that is kind of, you know, not having the affair is cheated out of something that belongs to them, that fidelity, that loyalty. Right. At least that's what, where the, you know, etymology of a word comes from. And it's realizing what bullshit that etymology is. But she's not cheating me out of anything because I'm not entitled to this. This is not, right. nobody is taking anything away from me. And it's not like, this isn't mine. This is, this is hers. 100% hers. It's mm. all about her. And it's all, it, if it belongs to anybody, if that moment, if that aspect of her, if that, if that part of her that I kind of used to feel so like, wow, the slut, the Madonna, you know, Madonna Hall, Madonna slut, the slut would be wonderful to see. Now I just realize it's wonderful that it exists, even if I'm part of it or not, and how beautiful it is. <laughs> now, um, I, I, have, I actually have a, a couple of questions. I was talking to someone, and I let them know that I was going to be talking to you guys, and I know that you know they're 
big fans of yours and kind of wanted me to address a certain thing. So the first question is for Amy. Oh, A. <laughs> Guys rubbed off on me. <laughs> the first question is for A. <laughs> she wants to know, how does it make you feel to see your husband wearing his cuck shirt or doing other activities to show his immense pride in being your cuck? Um, I love it. I was not initially comfortable with it. But now I, I absolutely love it. So one of the biggest jokes that we have between ourselves is that our, we have some cleaning ladies that come to our house every couple of weeks and he <laughs> really loves, he loves outward symbols. He has an antler on his keychain. He has antlers all over his office. Mm-hmm. We have a painting that I bought him with elk in the mist that have antlers above our bed. We have antlers everywhere. Mm-hmm. And he has four or five cuck shirts and our cleaning ladies just get the biggest kick out of doing our laundry and putting his <laughs> shirts like on top of our bed when we leave. And at first I was like, Oh my God. Like I was so embarrassed initially because this is like such a very private thing. And your underwear too. That's and what. my underwear. He buys me all sorts of queen of spades underwear and right. you know, all sorts of stuff. And they just love to leave little like trails like for us and <laughs> stuff that they recognize. And at first it was really hard for me, but now I just love his expression and nothing turns me on like seeing him with his cage on. Um, I just, I have a lot of pride when I see that and it just makes me kind of glow. I love any physical expression of him as a cuck, but because we do have children, I am always much more cognizant. He's very scatterbrained and absent-minded as brilliant (laughs) as he is. I don't know how many times he's walked out of our house wearing a cuck shirt in the neighborhood, you know, and people seeing it and our daughter has seen it like, you know, and I'm just like people, you know, I just, I just want a little more discretion around it. But when it's in a lifestyle setting, I absolutely love it. Like one time he actually wore it intentionally to the movie theater and like left his jacket unzipped so everybody could see it. (laughs) And that was intentional. And that to me is just like, I love the fact that he's like so proud of it. Mm -hmm. So I, I really like that. No, that's, that's, that's awesome. Now I have a question for E. She wants to know what unexpected benefits of entering into a cuckold dynamic with your wife have you noticed? Like something that you, that the thought never even crossed your mind that it would occur. But when you find yourself in it, it's like, oh shit. And that happened too. Um, so I don't know if I would say I can think of one that's an unexpected benefit of a cuck relationship, but more of the overall cuck FLR mm-hmm. relationship is, you know, I wouldn't say a just use the, the right word. I'm scattered. I'm scatterbrained. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of an absent-minded professor. You know, I'm a I'm a classical absent-minded professor. I went through, you know, almost a decade of graduate school to to rack up like three or four graduate degrees. It's it's kind of uh, my mind is constantly always tied up in. I do a very technical kind of uh, complicated area of law in my practice, and so I'm always kind of somewhere along the lines of where's my phone you know you know texting a where's my phone and and a going um 
how did you just text me? What's in your hand? <laughs> You're <laughs> on so, it. <laughs> right, exactly. So, uh, you know, I, I'm definitely kind of one of, those, one of those people that's like, okay, I'm busy working on the single most complicated thing I can think of in my entire career where I'm doing a you know, big complicated project with 700 moving pieces going together, but I can't remember to tie my shoes. And so part of the FLR and Cook Dynamic is seeing the empowerment that A, has gone through mm-hmm. and just seeing um you know her kind of be empowered to run our household and run our relationship and run our sex life and run everything right in a way that it's not a laziness it's just a, a sense of rightness that she is much better at that and making mm-hmm. those decisions than i am and you know one of the things is every relationship i've been in before hey every relationship i have been absolutely a leader for lack of a better word right. you know, my prior marriage i don't know if my ex-wife cracked open the checkbook or balanced the checkbook once mm-hmm. in like 14 years i was responsible for everything um even relationships afterwards i was always kind of the responsible one managing all that stuff now you know whether it's our sex life whether it's uh you know what we do with the kids whether it's um uh, even kind of big decisions about vacations where we live professional decisions a is just so much better at that stuff than I am. But I don't think that would have been the case because um, without cook-holding FLR, because we were, A is, like I said, she's a force of nature. nature. Mm. She's the smartest woman I've ever met. She she is the most compassionate woman. She builds communities. She brings people together. And she just gets shit done. But there was definitely kind of an equality where we'd trip over each other and hit stalemate and butt heads and be kind of, you know, analysis paralysis because i want to do one way she wants to do another way and we just wouldn't move forward none of that anymore you know everything is just done right and it's the right direction and i have just this absolute i, I don't know if serenity is the mm. right term uh but definitely uh assurance and peace and comfort that i know i'm on the bus the bus is going to the right destination i don't need to know what that destination is it's nice that she'll tell me mm. that i'll be informed but i don't need to and i certainly don't ever say it and everything is kind of right in the world when A is absolutely in charge and running it. Fantastic, fantastic. Now I have one more question for A, and she wants to know, um, how does it feel to be introduced as a cuckoldress? What has that moniker come to mean for you, and has that meaning changed over time? It's definitely changed. I, I, I will say, and Michael, you and I had a conversation about this. I think the very first time we spoke, nomenclature, like terms within the lifestyle have been really difficult for me to wrap my head around. First of all, I used to think the word cuckoldress was like literally the least sexy word ever, mm-hmm. but I've really come to love it. And I also fought against every other possible label, you know, as a feminist call me a fucking hot wife. Like that's, that's really defining it around being a wife and I'm just a hot woman. <laughs> like <laughs> I, you know, I, my status as a free sexual being isn't defined by me being a wife to someone. And you really helped me look at that differently in terms of, you know, in a community, if you don't understand what somebody's label is, maybe you can't figure out how they attach to others and what that, you know, kind of what that role is. And so I've definitely embraced it a lot more. And I think now when I think of the word cuckoldress, I think free, I think empowered, I think boss, 
bitch. <laughs> like I love, I love everything that comes with it. And I also think really strong because, and I also think cuck though, for me is, is I think there is no one stronger than a cuck. Mm-hmm. And I think there is so much misunderstanding out there and misrepresentation in regular porn and anything like that around cucks and the way the word cuck or cuckold gets thrown around in the media always has such a negative connotation. And I'm very defensive of it because I just think to me, there is not a stronger man in the world than E and any person, any man, any person that chooses to be a cuck. And I think the same for cuckold dress. I just think that their terms from to me, they're terms that signify strength and empowerment and freedom to be who you are and really embrace whatever it is that your heart desires. And so for me, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I really love, I do have a small community of women that I, that are not in the cuck dynamic, but that when I get to talk to them about our dynamic, I feel proud and I feel happy and I love educating people on what that means because I think normalizing non-normal, non-normative sexual relationships is something that I am really proud of and really would like to spend more time doing. <laughs> and I think we've talk- talked about before what one of the beautiful things, at least for me, is those things have been thrown around, like you said, cuck in the media, but also words like slut. Mm-hmm. Cuckolders get thrown around as kind of insults, right? Cuckolders is, you know, effectively means a woman that cheats. So whore, adulteress are kind of the counterparts that are used as insults to right. put people down. So for us, it's so beautiful that they're not, you can take those words like slut or adulteress and, and you can reclaim them and turn them around to not be insults but be titles to be honorifics right slut is something to be proud of it's, oh, it's, absolutely. it's something you're, pre- with, you're preaching to the choir right I mean, <laughs> exactly the same with taking adulterous which is you know the scarlet a mm-hmm. and hester prynne and all that crap and turning it around to be cuckoldress which is you know it's a title it's like queen or princess or mm-hmm. your your you know or madam or mm-hmm. your highness or mom it's it's a title to be proud of not an insult to be thrown to put you down it's something to show how high you should be on a pedestal, not to put you in the gutter. No, absolutely. Now, one thing I, I always try to be uh, mindful of the time for my listeners. And I mean, obviously this interview could go on for, for a while, but I do like to be mindful of the time. But one thing that I do want to get to with you guys, and I, I say this to everyone, um, you know that there are people out there who are going to be listening, who they're just embarking on this journey. Maybe they're struggling like, like you guys did. Um, and a, I, I want you to answer this first. What would your advice be? Like, what would your words of encouragement be for those people out there who are trying to decide, do we want to do this? Is it worth the effort? I, I think that what I would say and what we are just now getting to 18 months into this is if you're listening to this and this is something you have interest in, just know that there's actually not an insignificant community out there of people that you can connect to. And it has only been since I got on Twitter that I have been able to actually connect with people and it has blown us open in a way that like, 
for me to have other women that I can talk to about their experiences in the lifestyle, for E to have other men that he can talk to about their experiences, cucks. And I think really just using the community that's there because we've all been through whatever version we've got. Mm-hmm. I would say just like, don't hesitate to reach out, make that community, get, get connected with the people that are out there because we all love this lifestyle, but we also all love each other in a way that we don't maybe know each other, but we just have such a great appreciation for one another. And I think that everybody's expression is very different, but I don't know anybody. I will just say for myself, I'm in a chat with a bunch of cuckoldress women that they are such a support for each other. And it doesn't matter what anybody's expression is. We all just want to lift each other up. And I'm a lurker because I'm not great at at really participating in chats, but I will reach out to people individually when Mm. I feel like they might need a little bit of support. And I have somebody that I'm doing that with right now because it's a really isolating thing to Mm. go through without anybody to help guide you along the way. So for me, that would, that would be it is like, get you some people (laughs) that you can talk to and that you can use as a sounding board to really bounce things off of, talk about your insecurities, talk about your fears. For me, it took me a really long time. I know we've talked a lot about difficulties in this. But one of the biggest difficulties for me has been understanding that a lot of what turns him on, there are aspects of humiliation that I haven't been willing to engage in because I don't want to disrespect him. And what he desires more than anything is for me to engage in those things. And it's been helpful for me to create some relationships with women that have helped me understand that me not doing it is for me. It's not for him. Right. And if I want to give him what it is he desperately needs, just like he's giving me what I need, I need to be willing to meet him where he is and give him some of that. And I have a long way to go in that, but I feel as though these women have helped me understand that. Yes. Cucks are really selfless, but you also need to be willing to give them some of, some of the stuff that they are looking for too. So community for me, hands down. <laughs> and how about you, E? What would your advice be to those couples? I would say to have a little grace for yourself. Um, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to mess things up and it's going to be tough. And especially for cooks out there, I would say, you know, you, you play by the same, it's a relationship. A cook, cook holding is still a relationship. And so you play by the same rules you should be playing by in any relationship. You know, there's no abuse. You're treating each other with respect. And Provided you're doing that, you know, if you have a, a vanilla relationship, right, you're going to screw up. Somebody's going to do something in the vanilla world. Somebody's going to spend some money they shouldn't do, or they're going to wreck a car or do something like that. And in those cases, you know, you, you work your way through it. You have the commitment. You work with each other. It's the same thing in the cook, uh, cook, uh, cook just dynamic. The cook is going to have some jealousy. The, and it's going to happen at some times. The, cuckoldress is going to have some insecurity or is going to be pissed off because they, she sees the cook as being too needy or uh, something at some point and have some irritability. Just like in any other regular relationship, give yourself the grace to realize that that doesn't make you a bad person. That doesn't make you a failure that you failed at this. Just as if you get pissed and irritated at your partner in a vanilla relationship, that doesn't make you a failure in a relationship. It just right. means you've had a stumble. Pick yourself up, dust yourself off, 
realize you need to try extra hard to show respect and love and adoration for your, not just for your cuckoldress, but for yourself or uh, the cook, but for the cuckoldress too. Realize that mistakes happen. It's, it's a regular relationship. And for the cook, at least for me in my personal experience, doing that allows you to give yourself the space to see all the amazing things about your cuckoldress so that you can kind of build that pedestal higher and higher and higher that she's on. And I cannot emphasize how much those mistakes that I made in having jealous moments here or there and A's ability to kind of help me through them, give me some space, give me some grace to understand, say, you know what? That was a really shitty thing you just said, mm -hmm. but I love you and that's okay. People say, and, and for me to be able to say to A, hey, that was a really shitty thing you just did when you were irritated at me for that, but that's okay. And then to bring yourself closer after that, I, I mean, I just, I cannot emphasize enough how much that made, has just built my gratitude and my adoration. And I literally worship the ground A walks on because of it. I mean, and that's not figuratively, but right. literally, I mean, we get up in the morning and we have a routine where before we even get out of bed, before we even get out of bed, I kneel by the side of the bed. She puts her feet out of the bed. I kiss every inch of her feet. I, then I, you know, kind of lick her pussy and then I, eat her ass and the, um, the idea is behind those three things one is to show that i worship the ground she walks on one is to show that i you know adore and am submissive uh adore and um worship her and the other one is to show that i'm submissive to her and that's the kind of give yourself some grace that you can see those things to celebrate but if you get if you understand that you will screw up she will screw up Mm -hmm. And like any other relationship, a screw up is just a screw up. Yeah, absolutely. And live by the same rules as you would in a relationship. No abuse, no kind of violence, no shouting, just like you would in a vanilla relationship. Right. Talk it over, get over it, move exactly. on. Exactly. You're allowed to have a bad response, but a bad response still has to be in the same guardrails as a vanilla relationship. Right. No, absolutely. You, you constantly say, I'm dumb, so my bad response is going to be to beat you. Yeah, it's no. it's going to be, I'm, I'm having a bad response, and just like in a regular vanilla relationship, I'm going to say things, you're going to say things, and we're going to work through it and forgive each other. Well, I want to, uh, first of all, thank you for what both of you had to say um, at the end. That was fantastic advice. And hopefully at least some of my listeners will be able to kind of uh, pick things from what you said that apply to them, you know, and, and make it work for them. Um, I want to thank you guys for agreeing to, to be guests. You know, I never take it for granted when people come on my show and kind of bear their soul and let all of these strangers out there kind of have a peek behind the curtain at, you know, at, at how they got to this point. Because one of the things that I felt was real poignant about your story uh, was it showed the other side, it showed the side of struggle, you know, and sometimes that struggle makes the reward that much more rewarding, you know, and I think it's, it's great for people to see that there are struggles because what we don't want is to have people enter this realm, struggle and give up because they're struggling to think, Oh, well we must be doing something wrong because we're struggling and all these other couples are making it work and we're having a hard time. So maybe it's not for us. So it's good to, for them to see success stories of people who struggle to get uh, where they are. So on that token, I feel like your story, excuse me, has immense value. And I want to thank you for, you know, for coming on to, to, to share that. Um, as always, I always want to give a, a, a heartfelt thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. 
um, as I always say, you guys are the fuel that make this go. I, I would not be able to do what I am doing now were it not for all my Patreon supporters out there that believe in what I'm doing and want to see me continue doing it. Um, if you're listening to this and you're not a Patreon supporter yet, like I said, maybe this will be the one that, you know, that puts you over the edge and, and makes you want to, to become one. Um, whether you do or not, I'm, I'm going to keep on doing what I do. I, I love what I do. When I hear stories like uh, A&E's, I know that I'm doing the right thing. I know that I'm doing what I was meant to do. And I know that it's, it's helping, you know, people out there. One of the things that I'm starting to see more frequently now, because I've been doing a podcast for over two years now, is I'm getting into those multi-generational kind of help cycles where I've interviewed someone and they help somebody and then that person came on and I interviewed them and then their story helped somebody. And now I'm getting to the point where I'm in like the third or fourth tier of people who were helped by people that came before them. And then they come on and share their story. And totally. it just kind of gets into like this perpetual motion kind of thing. And, and for me, that's extremely rewarding. You know, that's yeah. extremely rewarding. So again, I want to, uh, you know, I want to thank you guys for, for coming on. I know I have some things in the works uh, where I'll be having you both back on in different capacities to talk about different things. Um, I know that I want to have a back for, uh, you know, to be a guest on my chocolate covered cherries series. And we'll go all into depth about that. And um, I know I want to have you guys back for my October series. So yeah, people will be hearing from you guys again. And again, to all my listeners, thank you. I'm your host, Michael C. This has been another episode of the Keys and Anklets podcast, and I will see you when I see you. Take care. Peace. <laughs>